Welcome to episode 77 of the Girl About the Globe podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by the inspiring Chrissy Teglow, an experienced solo adventurer and traveller who, through her memoir, Weathered, offers inspiration and advice to others beginning their travel adventures. If you've ever wanted to sell your house and go travelling, leave a corporate career behind, or spend two weeks solo hiking on a trail in America, then this episode is for you. Stay tuned. Welcome to Girl About the Globe, a podcast for you as a solo female traveller. Empowering women to travel solo with maximum adventure, minimum impact. Welcome to another episode of the Girl About the Globe podcast, empowering you to travel solo with maximum adventure, minimum impact. Today, I am joined by the inspiring Christy Teglow, an experienced solo adventurer and traveler who, through her memoir, Weathered, offers inspiration and advice to others beginning their travel adventures. As an experienced solo adventurer and traveler, Christy has navigated the challenges of backpacking, hiking, traveling, and exploring the world as a single woman in industries and spaces still dominated by men. And I can't wait to find out more. So welcome, Christy. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be on your podcast and um, yeah, just love everything that you're doing. So thrilled to be here. Oh, thank you. So take us back to the very beginning. So you originally grew up in St. Louis and then you lived in Colorado for a few years. And then at 23, you moved to Los Angeles by yourself. Yeah, exactly. So um, it was mostly St. Louis and then middle school years were in Colorado um, and then graduated from college in Missouri and just felt like my calling was in California and (laughs) picked up and moved there at 23 and um, lived there for 15 years, worked in retail management. Yeah. And um, operations management, recruiting management for corporate America and um, was just kind of plugging away there. I'd gotten married, um, lived there for quite a while. But in 2016 was kind of the start of my, (laughs) you know, really, well, about 2015, starting to feel like, you know, I kind of wanted something different out of life. And um, Mm -hmm. I had watched the movie Wild and um, thought, wow, this backpacking, I I never knew about through hiking, but, you know, I didn't have six months and um, the hiking in the desert didn't appeal to me and such. But um, I ended up finding out about the John Muir Trail. And so that's 220 miles um, through the California Sierra Mountains that goes from Yosemite Valley to the top of Mount Whitney, which is the tallest peak in the lower 48 states. And I heard about it from a friend and said, oh, you could backpack it in three weeks. And I thought, okay, that's, you know, I can get that time off work. And um, so 2016, I really spent kind of preparing for that and hiked the John Muir Trail by myself. I'd never backpacked before. (laughs) So I spent uh, some time preparing for that. And at the time I was then separated from my husband. So I used the time to um, really try to figure out um, what I wanted to do with my marriage. We'd been married just over 10 years, uh, nine years at that point, And what I wanted to do with my career. Um, it, it really gave me a lot of time to just focus on that sort of stuff. So when I got done hiking the trail, I, um, about six months later, ended up um, filing for divorce, um, took a while for it all to be final. So the following year, 2017, and that uh, that fall, 
I traveled for the first time uh, by myself abroad. Um, I had kind of dabbled in solo travel uh, when I was 20. I road tripped, um, drove by myself from Missouri to Colorado. Um, so it was about you know 12 hour drive and visited family and friends, went up to Nebraska. And then I had done some work trips after I got divorced um, by myself to San Diego and Florida. So it was like little taste, but it was still within the US and, you know, in my comfort zone. So in 2017, I said, you know, I'm going to try going by myself. And to kind of ease into it, I did a nine day hiking and kayaking tour of the Norwegian fjords, um, which was just incredible. Beautiful, I can imagine. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like a postcard everywhere you go there. Um, It's just absolutely incredible. Um, And once that tour finished, I then had 10 days left that I went by myself to Oslo, Copenhagen and Stockholm. And, you know, I was really nervous because I didn't speak the languages. Um, You know, I had very limited cell phone (laughs) service internationally. And, um, but I ended up just loving it. And I I just loved that I could choose what to do, when to do it, um, where to go. I ended up, I was on a a ghost walking tour and I I met another solo female traveler and we went and had dinner together. And so I was finding it not as intimidating as anticipating and afraid of. And so when I came back to LA, I just, I felt like, oh, that went so quick. I want more of that. And and for the first time in 15 years, I felt like, I don't know if I want to be in LA anymore. Um, it was just feeling a little crowded and expensive. And so I really, at that point, started to kind of make plans and just felt like, you know, God's path for me was different. So mm-hmm. I started saying, well, I don't know how to do this. You know, I'd, I'd heard of people and some people I worked with that would take a few months and travel between jobs. And I didn't grow up with money. So it just seemed like something that was out of my uh, realm of possibility. And, but I, I started to do the math and I, and I started to think, you know, if I sell my house in Los Angeles, I can use the money to travel. Um, the housing market was booming in LA um, and really just started figuring out. I thought, you know, I think I could do this and travel for a good two and a half years and, you know, see what I can do um, to make it more long-term. As I, I'd had a paycheck since I was 16, so it was a little nerve wracking. And um, I decided I could make it work. And by June 2018, my house was sold. I quit my job. I'd been at that company for 11 years. Um, and all I knew is I wanted to drive the Alaska Highway <laughs> and go to Alaska. So I literally just left LA and headed north. And um, I ended up spending four months um, going through the Pacific Northwest, um, up to Alaska, um, down through Canada. And that really just kind of started my travels. And I was, you know, writing about it, blogging. Um, and yeah, so it's been a few years now of um, almost pretty much full-time travels um, with some stints kind of coming back to Missouri. But um, yeah, that's kind of my my overall story and, and wow. how I came to travel. <laughs> that's amazing because I know I haven't traveled that much in America, but I know that you guys don't normally get that much holiday, do you? So to be able to travel longer term is quite difficult isn't it it's not we you don't kind of have the same flexibility as we do in England and Europe for example with the amount of holiday days yeah that's exactly right we the standard is about two weeks a year um some people don't get any yeah and then like the company I worked for it was it was pretty standard across the board where you only got it was eight holidays a year um which were like Christmas New Year's kind of the big holidays and then two weeks of vacation time a year. And then once you hit five years, you get three weeks. 
you don't get a four, fourth week till you've been there for 20 years. <laughs> and the thing is, when you switch companies, you start over. So it's always tenure with the company. So, you know, if you're at a place where you're getting three weeks and then you change companies, you're back down to two weeks. And it's really difficult because, you know, I didn't live near my family. So I wanted to use some holiday time to go see my family for Christmas. And so it left me with very few days. And me and my, my ex-husband, we would try to go about every other year on a trip to, um, we went to Ecuador, Mexico. Um, and then in 2014, I was actually able to get a month off of work um, with my vacation time and some unpaid time where um, we spent a month in Europe. But it that was also like a little bit of a tease. So it kind of started and, you know, you always think, oh, this will cure my itch. You know, I get a whole month yeah. of travel and, and it, it never cures it. You just want more. And then it will be out of my system. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it just goes so fast. And then you just want more of it, you know? And, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is really unfortunate. Honestly, we do not get a lot of vacation time at all in America. And the, and the sad thing is a lot of studies actually show that a large percentage of people don't even use the vacation they get because they want to get paid out at the end of the year to help pay bills. And so it's, it's a really limited, you know, holiday and vacation package that we get in the U S. I love your story though. I love the fact that you just sold your house. I mean, how, how was that feeling when you, when you sold it? Because that's your anchor, isn't it? For a lot of people, their house or where they live is their stability. And so the thought of not having that must be quite daunting for, for other people. Yeah, it actually, you know, it was difficult because we, me and my, my ex-husband, we'd bought a condo in Long Beach. Um, and at the time I was, I think, 28 years old. And by the time we got the house, I was almost 35. And it, you know, it took me so long. Housing was really expensive there. And, you know, I had worked so many hours and so hard in corporate America to finally get a house. And it was really difficult to, you know, at first, once I got divorced, there was this weird feeling of, you know, I would come home for work, from work, and it's just me and my cat. <laughs> and it would feel, you know, kind of lonely and empty. And it felt like, man, I'm just working to have this house. But what's the point of having the house if, you know, I'm just here alone? And, you know, it shouldn't, I just, I just don't want to work for material items. And, it, at first it was like, okay, I'm going to get rid of the house. You know, I want to go live life. And it really did hit me unexpectedly. You know, a lot of people told me like, do you realize what you're doing? <laughs> you're giving up a well-paying good job that you're, you're doing really well at and you're selling a house and in this market, you'll never be able to afford to buy a house here again. And, and I was actually told that by some friends, I was told that by an Airbnb host's father that I stayed with in Canada. And, you know, just random people would say, what were you thinking? You'll never be able to afford to buy there again. And, and, and there definitely were mo like the day I had to leave the house and the buyers were coming and I was, I was, you know, just getting out of there by the skin of my teeth, finishing cleaning. And it just hit me very suddenly of, you know, the memories that I had there of finally owning like a single family detached home and um, just the work that me and my husband, ex-husband had put into it. And it was really overwhelming. And, and I will say that the first week of leaving LA, I, it was a little terrifying. You know, I'd always had a paycheck since I was 16. I suddenly didn't have a paycheck and I didn't have a house. <laughs> I had put stuff in storage, sold other things. And yeah, there was definitely some moments of like, what was I thinking? Like, <laughs> you know, am I losing my mind? What's, oh my gosh, I, I don't have a house. I'm, I'm homeless. I don't have a job. And I, I, I really struggled the first week, to be honest with you. It just, it felt like, 
oh, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I was staying in really crappy kind of two-star motels, um, eating fast food. I was afraid to spend money. And after about a week, I realized um, I, I can't, this isn't going to be enjoyable for me if I don't mm-hmm. um, at least have some sort of enjoyment. I can't be so afraid of spending money that I don't even enjoy the trip. Um, and so it, it definitely got better after that first week. But I think you it definitely hits you all of a sudden of, what did I just do? <laughs> I, I had exactly the same because I, I got divorced and it was after that that I started my blog and went on a completely different path. But I handed my notice in at work the same day that I filed for divorce. And then, because before that, I'd been looking around for apartments. I thought, well, everyone's telling me that I need to buy somewhere. I need to kind of get on with my life, but just without him. So kind of starting a new life, but still where I was. And I was looking at apartments and it just didn't feel right. And all I really wanted to do was just go traveling with the money and just go and find myself again and just have experiences and just throw myself out there and just see what happens and that first week like you're saying it's as soon as I was on the plane it hit me and I thought what am I doing I'm crazy why (laughs) why can't I be content with just having a normal life like other people why am I flying to China and it, it took a little while for me as well to kind of calm myself down and go right you're here now you're doing it how can you make the most of it and this is going to build you as a person because I I felt like I was really broken and I kind of felt quite lost but Mm -hmm. doing that put me onto my path and it sounds as though that was quite similar for you oh yeah a hundred percent and I think with um when I hiked the John Muir Trail was it was really eye-opening because I was meeting people on the trail as me, not as a married couple. Um, mm-hmm. And there there was a, a, when I was leaving, I finished the John Muir Trail and in Lone Pine, it's a real small town in California and a lot of backpackers. It's, it's hard to get there. There's not rental cars. Um, I saw these three backpackers that were hitchhiking and um, I had seen them on and off on the trail. And so I, I had passed them and I thought, oh, I should see where they're going. And and I had this internal dialogue. Nah, you already passed them. It's not your problem. Just keep going. Ah, no. What if that were me? I'd need a ride. So I turned around. I picked them up, and it turned out they were trying to get all the way to Orange County, which is um, right next to Los Angeles, which is a four-hour drive. So they they thought they were going to have to inch their way there. Um, It worked out really well. I had company for the drive. Um, Really cool kids. They they got to where they needed to go, and and it was a realization for me when I got home that moments like that had happened in my marriage and my husband would usually talk me out of it. You know, you don't need to help those people. It's not your responsibility. Just keep going. And it just made me feel like I was almost being prevented from being myself um, in my marriage. And so it, it, yeah, it was this eye opening, like, okay, I can, I can be me. I don't have to be criticized or talked out of doing things. And and it was the same thing that, that you mentioned that it was this, well, you know, I had those same feelings of why can't I just be content and just <laughs> be here? And everybody thought you're crazy. You 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 got this house. I had remodeled the backyard. I had done all this stuff, and and I was like, yeah, but it's it's not fulfilling for me. It was yeah. you know doing that Scandinavia trip. I was like, that's where I felt alive, and all I had with me was my suitcase, and it just felt like oh, I don't think I need a house and all this other stuff. I really just need experiences and to travel and to see the world and. I think it, it is difficult because our society really does 
um, you know, there's a certain way that people are supposed to live <laughs> that's acceptable. And people kind of think you're nuts if you're just, you give it, if you throw it all away, basically, right? In their mind, it's like, what are you doing? You're throwing away this future. And, you know, I yeah. think to us, it's like, no, I'm starting my future. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of it for them is fear and not understanding it because they wouldn't feel comfortable or secure doing it. So they, presume that you wouldn't feel like that whereas for me not having a base makes me feel secure because I feel alive and I think you hit the nail on the head with solo travel there with what you said is that it made you feel alive so what other feelings or how else could you describe the way that solo travel makes you feel or why do you love it so much yeah I for me one thing that I experienced is you know traveling with my husband for several years and then traveling alone I have experiences that I don't think you can get when you're with another person. So mm -hmm. as a solo female, people are so much more inclined to come up and talk to me. Um, you know, they're, they're baffled sometimes you're, you're by yourself. <laughs> well, you know, what, what are you doing here? Why are you <laughs> all the way across the world and, <laughs> um, alone? And, you know, some people, depending on the cultures, you know, ask, where's your husband? Why is it your husband here? And, um, it's, it's, I really enjoy meeting people though, um, whether it's locals or other travelers. Um, it It's something that I think when you're with somebody else, people are afraid that they're going to intrude on your conversation or, mm -hmm. you know, they might intrude on your vacation. And so they, they just don't really approach you. But when you're alone, they're not interrupting a conversation because you're not talking to anybody. <laughs> um, you know, and I end up meeting some just really fascinating, interesting people. And, you know, just for example, when I was in Sydney, Australia, I was sitting on this like concrete ledge overlooking the Sydney Harbor. I actually had my headphones in. I was taking notes about my trip. Um, so I'll take notes um, for my blog. And I actually, you know, was just focused on what I was doing there. And this 22 year old kid came up to me and asked me for directions. And I took off my headphones and was trying to help him. He was trying to meet somebody for kind of a business internship meeting. And um, he ended up having an extra 30 minutes and he just sat down and um, literally just started telling me his life story. And he was originally from India and he came to Australia for university and um, he wanted to get into politics and um, he was doing these internships and he actually at one point said, I don't know why I'm telling you all of this. Um, I don't tell anybody this this stuff. And I said, well, you know, it's it's easier to talk to strangers. Love um, it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because strangers, they don't have this whole history of you. They don't hold any past mistakes you've made against you because they don't know any of your past mistakes. So it's like a fresh start a fresh, you know, mindset when you're talking to somebody new. And also you have that feeling of, well, I may never see this person again anyway. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, I can tell this person what I feel and what I think because they don't know my inner circle of people. Um, and so it just moments like that, I just feel like I didn't get to experience when I was traveling with my ex-husband or even traveling with a friend. It's just something where people are just open. People just talk to you. And it's, it's what really brings me joy with travel. It's people that, you know, I end up staying in touch with, you know, it's been years and I'm still in touch with many of these people. And, um, that's to me, what makes solo travel so amazing is, um, it's just a totally different experience. Um, and you, you just get to know places I think a lot better and a lot richer. And, you know, it's another thing too, is if you're not having to worry about another person, I feel that yeah. I've been, I've, I, I get more 
information about the history and the culture. And because I just have more time, you know, I'm not spending time talking with somebody or doing things. So I actually feel like I just get to learn more about the culture. You get a deeper immersion, I think, as a solo traveler. And because you're more vigilant, you're observing a lot more as well. I think you're not deeply engrossed with somebody all the time or someone's navigating or you're navigating. It's you're so observant of what's around you. Yeah. Yeah. So what destinations have you been to? Which ones have been your highlights? Yeah. Yeah. So before my solo travels, I had been to um, Mexico, Ecuador, and then a lot of kind of Western Europe, which um, England, Scotland, France, Spain, Italy, and Switzerland. And then on my solo travels, I went to Norway, Sweden, um, Denmark. And then um, I know this is an international, but Alaska and Hawaii, which <laughs> in America, we it feels almost like it's a different country because they're so far away. Um, I'd and love then, to go there. I haven't been to them. Oh, they're both amazing. I mean, Hawaii is beautiful, beautiful. I mean, scenery, the ocean, the culture is really, really fun there. And Alaska is just one of the, uh, that's, that's probably one of my highlights is, you know, there's one road that you can take to actually drive to Alaska. And um, it's called the Alaska Highway. And it's a road that the US Army built in 1942 to get from Canada to the air, the Army base in Fairbanks, Alaska. So you have to, to start the Alaska Highway, you have to drive 750 miles northeast from Vancouver. And then it starts at um, Dawson City or Dawson Creek. And then it's 1500 miles to Fairbanks. So you are just driving through remote terrain on, you know, one road, there's a lot of RVs, you can really only do it in the summer, um, because winter is just closed. And you'll go hours with um, no towns, no people, nothing. And then when you come to a town, you know, it's a little town that has, um, it'll just have one or two gas stations, it'll have uh, one or two motels, it'll have, um, you know, just very, very basic um, <laughs> amenities that are there. You're so remote. But the the Canadian Rocky Mountains are just incredible. I mean, I've seen lots of mountains around the world and Norway, Switzerland, and in, in America. Mm-hmm. And the Canadian Rockies, they just get so, they're so magnificent. They're so huge. And they're so untouched. So as you're driving on the Alaska Highway, the road kind of follows lakes and mountains and lakes and mountains. And there's just almost no sign of man-made um, structures or cities. And um, okay. it, I mean, I saw a bear, a grizzly bear foraging on the side of the road. <laughs> I saw a moose on the side of the road, wolf, like it's, it's a wild, wild place. So Alaska for sure was one of the highlights, but also just Canada, British Columbia and the Yukon are um, incredible, incredible places. And I actually have gone back to Whistler, Canada. It's about an hour and a half North of Vancouver, a uh, ski town, um, I've gone back there a few times. I end up spending six weeks there <laughs> because it's just, it, it's such a fun vibe. It's an international city. There's people from all over the world there. Um, it's yeah. So Alaska is definitely a highlight. Um, I also coming back from Alaska, took the ferry. It was a 36 hour ferry ride from Haynes, Alaska to Prince Rupert, Canada. And a ferry is, you know, it's pretty basic. It's not like a cruise ship. So they had like one limited restaurant a little tiny movie room, but you can just, you can rent a room or you can just sleep anywhere. So 
I just slept on a pool chair on the deck on the back of the ferry under this atrium and put my sleeping bag there. And you just have views of the ocean and mountains the entire time. So um, there are just really some awesome, unique places in Alaska. I camped right next to a glacier. So yeah, I highly recommend the the drive up to Alaska. Um, there aren't any roads on the coast, so it does make sense of why a lot of people do a cruise to Alaska. <laughs> Many um, people okay. <laughs> to get around, it's by seaplane, snowmobile, or <laughs> ships. Um, so it is difficult to drive around there. But yeah, so Alaska was, was definitely a highlight. And then the, the other places I've been kind of on my solo travels after Alaska, I spent a month in Thailand, a month in Vietnam, and then six months in Australia driving around the entire country. And then I was in Switzerland when COVID happened and I was supposed to do six to eight months of Eastern uh, Europe and the Balkans. But I, after 10 days, um, travel ban started. So I came back to the US and I've spent mostly the last two years, it's been road tripping around the US and um, setting up some uh, Airbnbs here um, for an in- income stream. But the... Um, yeah, it was definitely, I was a little bummed that I didn't get a chance to to do that area. But yeah, I when I think of what are the highlights, I think also kayaking th- through the Norwegian for- fjords. Yeah, um, that just sounds epic. Yes. And it, it was like, the water was almost like butter and glass. And then sometimes a storm would come in and <laughs> they were having their coldest summer on record when I was there. And it was just wild, but I loved it because in LA, you don't really get a lot of weather. Um, beautiful weather, blue sky, but not a lot of action. So in Norway, you know, it is, you know, thundering and lightning and raining. And, um, but it was just so beautiful. And we'd, we'd hike up to the top of the fjord and we hiked the tallest peak in Norway. And then we climbed a glacier and um, it just, it, it's so calm and serene. I felt like we had the fjord to ourselves. Um, our little tour group was like nine of us. And that was definitely a highlight just because it was just such a unique experience that, um, you know, we did home stays and yeah, it was just a really, really unique stay. And then in Thailand, um, I learned how to scuba dive <laughs> and I had never dived before. <laughs> what an amazing place to learn though, because it's just beautiful and the water's warm, isn't it? Yes, it's, exactly. It's yeah. Yes. It's so warm and it's clear and it's calm. So you don't have these huge currents that I ended up discovering in Australia <laughs> was quite a different experience. And yes, Thailand, um, it is a fantastic place to learn how to dive. There's a ton of dive shops. Um, and it was, it was really scary at first, you know, I, I almost, I almost did not finish the three day class. I thought I, I just can't do this. There's so much involved. And, but once you're under there, it's just, such a wild feeling to look up and see how far underwater you are and see this wildlife. And, um, that was definitely, um, one of my highlights in Thailand and in Vietnam in the Northern mountains near China, I did a four day motorbike tour um, with a local guide and it was just a handful of other people. And it was an automatic manual, uh, motorbike. And I was really proud because I, I learned how to drive it. And these mountains are just so steep, but they're, they're beautiful and wild and the the roads are just crazy there, but somehow it just works. You know, they don't have stoplights. They don't use stop signs. And you, you literally, as you're driving, you just kind of make eye contact with people and you, you honk and you, you let people know who's going and you just kind of keep going through the <laughs> intersection. And, um, but it was, uh, 
we did homestays there as well. Um, so I really felt like I got to know these local villages. And so that that is probably my my highlight of Vietnam. And then Australia, I loved the outback. Um, I ended up buying a car and drove around the whole perimeter, drove through the center and then went to Tasmania. And, you know, Perth is the world's most isolated capital city. And it's, it reminded me a lot of when you drive to Alaska, but in reverse. So when you drive to Alaska, because it can get cold, people warn you, you know, make sure you have food and water, make sure you always drive on the top half of your gas tank. You don't want to run out of gas yeah. in Australia and the Outback. It's the same <laughs> bring food, bring, bring water, um, make sure you drive on the top half of your gas tank, but it's because it can get so hot <laughs> and you could be stranded in the desert, um, on really rough corrugated roads. Um, you could get a flat tire and, but when it's, when you're in environments like that, I, I had a guy in Fairbanks, a bartender who told me once, I think this is true with a lot of people that have, uh, when you're in remote areas, it becomes about survival. So, you know, if you see mm-hmm. somebody stranded on the side of the road, you're going to help them out because yeah. if you don't help them, they might die. Um, so it, it really brings people together. It's, it's a really cool feeling when everybody feels like they're in on it together. And um, I just had so many cool experiences in the Outback. It was, you know, I did a powered hang glide flight um, over the Ningaloo Reef. You're so I, adventurous. <laughs> I try, you know, it's, there are definitely times that I was um, called a scaredy cat and a worry wart growing up. And, you know, a lot of times I just force myself to do it. And the good thing is that when you, when you kind of force yourself to go through these things that, are really intimidating. You you get through it, and then it gives you more encouragement. Like, okay, I can do this next thing. Yeah, you know, if I accomplished X Y Z, I can do this too. And um, I did rappelling and rock climbing, and one of the it was one of the oldest gor- gorges in the world. And um, I ended up doing a, a backpacking kind of tour. My car died in the outback, so I, I had to sleep in a swag and um, do hiking and. It was pretty wild. And I also had the chance to like swim with humpback whales. Um, that was oh, wow. one of the most incredible things I experienced. They were so close. We could almost touch them. Um, and they are huge, magnificent creatures. Um, so that, that was pretty wild. But yeah, just I, I really I enjoy mostly kind of the outdoor and the nature mm-hmm. um, and these kind of wild experiences. But I also do go to cities. I go into um, Singapore and Melbourne. I really liked um, It's a really cool funky city. Um, but I, I tend to gravitate more towards the experiences that are nature involved or some sort of activity or something that's pretty unique. <laughs> yeah. I think they're the more empowering aspects of travel as well, aren't they? Like you say, when you do something and you step out your comfort zone, because solid travel in itself is stepping out your comfort zone. But then when you go and paraglide or do a bungee jump or go motorcycling, it really does give you that sense of empowerment and that, okay, I can I've done this, like what's next? You mentioned about documenting the good, the bad and the unique experiences. I guess you've just, you've told us quite a few unique experiences that you've had. And what about the bad? Because you have a blog, don't you, which is called um, Teglo Goes. You document all of your solo travels on your blog. Yeah, so it's kind of um, almost like a journal style, I guess. I kind of go day by day. Um, sometimes combine a few days into one, but I think it's really important to show a realistic view mm-hmm. <laughs> of solo travel. Um, you know, I, I think that the world of Photoshop and um, catered is is really not healthy for people. You know, it makes people 
um, feel like things are just unattainable or, you know, if, if things are presented as, you know, this will be the most wonderful experience you've ever had and nothing will ever go wrong, um, is going to be really bad when people then try to do things on their own and they experience any sort of problems. And so I try to be realistic of, you know, there are times where (laughs) when my car died in Australia, um, it was because I hadn't checked the oil <laughs> and I did not realize that also if you run out of oil within about 30 seconds, you will destroy your engine um, and it cannot be repaired. It has to be replaced. So, um, and I was in the middle of nowhere and I, you know, it was really frustrating for me to think, oh, something so simple. Why did I never check the oil? Um, now I'm stranded and I just ruined this car that I bought. And you know, those things are going to happen. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you, you make a mistake, you book something wrong, or you don't check the oil. Um, so sometimes it has to do with travel, either mistakes or things, just things that, you know, sometimes tours aren't the best, or, you know, maybe the tour was great, but there was, um, maybe it just wasn't the best experience or, um, so I, I try to just have a realistic view without, you know, I don't want to be negative or, you know, I do try to, um, look at things from a positive lens, but I think that there, there have also been a few days where I really did struggle with loneliness and mm. it just kind of hits you out of nowhere and you don't expect it. And, and I, I think it's, it's hard and you, you probably know this too, as a solo female traveler that it, it's like most of the time I really enjoy it and it's great. And sometimes I feel really lonely and, you know, I miss my family or friends. Um, It can be hard just constantly traveling, constantly going. And there are just certain, I think, moments and excursions that, you know, I wish I had somebody there with me. And so I blog about that because, you know, it's a reality that I I think it's a struggle. You don't want it to come across as it's not that I regret solo travel. It's not. But, yeah, I have the occasional day where... (laughs) Uh, I don't know, it just really hit me today. And um, here's how I'm feeling. And I think also, in part, you know, I was married for 10 years, and then divorced. So there's, you know, there's still things that I end up working through. Um, You know, I've tried dating while traveling, (laughs) hasn't always gotten so well, it's difficult when you're (laughs) when you're always on the move. Um, And so there's also just life issues, you know, And, and I think, like, if you, you know, everybody has issues in their everyday normal life. And yeah, it's like you can't just leave and travel and all your issues will are magically fixed. Right? Like I think travel can fix some things and definitely can. Um, like you've talked about, like I've said, like it can feel like, yeah, this is my purpose. This is what I was meant mm-hmm. to do. And I think it can definitely um, heal a lot of um, things that are going on in, in personal lives. You know, it can help you discover you. There, there's so many good things about travel. But the problems that you have will just follow you. <laughs> you know, there are things that, you know, if you don't resolve, um, they don't just get fixed. They just come with you wherever you are. So I, I try to be realistic about that, that, you know, it's not that travel suddenly fixed all my problems <laughs> in my life yeah. or with my emotions. So I, I try to talk about that and kind of how I work through that and, um, yeah, just have those experiences. And and sometimes, you know, <laughs> dating doesn't always go so smooth. So I'm realistic me. about that too. <laughs> I was reading one of your stories about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been a, it's been an interesting time, but I, yeah, I just think that I think balance is key. I Definitely. think, um, 
I just tried to have a realistic view. And again, I'd say probably 90% is, you know, really amazing and good and wonderful. Probably even 95. Um, There's just, you know, occasionally it's either loneliness or just kicking myself because I made a mistake, (laughs) you know, and, and regretting my decision of, oh, I just wasted money or I just, you know, made this bad decision or even, even times of just, oh, I didn't plan this correctly. And now I missed out on this really cool experience. And, um, you know, that's just a reality. It's, um, it's difficult when you're traveling by yourself in that sense, because you, you have so much, you have to plan it all yourself. Um, and so sometimes you make a mistake. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I do, I think your website honestly is great because you have a lot Mm -hmm. of like help and resources for people. Um, and it, it's really helpful, I think, to read blogs like yours to say, okay, let me help navigate these. So that way you're not just starting from square one. Um, but there's still times where you're just like, ah, well, oops. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely teaches you how to problem solve, doesn't it? And how to think quickly on the spot when you have to make a snap decision about something or you're in a spot of bother and I don't know, your taxi driver hasn't turned up and you need to get to the airport or, you know, because things like you're saying, things do go wrong. But then in everyday life, that, and when things do go wrong, when I'm away, I just remind myself, oh, in everyday life, I'm probably going to get a bit of a down day. I'm probably going to get a bit of a lonely day when I look at couples and I think, oh, I wish that was me or something goes a little bit wrong. But at the end of the day, I would rather be in that location and in that situation rather than be the old former me doing what I was doing 10 years ago. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I feel as though solo travel was really pushed me and challenged me and made me grow. So for every single challenge that I get, I think, okay, what is this teaching me? Is it teaching me next time I need to do this a bit better? Or is there some kind of more insightful lesson in this? Yeah. And that's a, you have a really good point there because I look at it really similarly that I don't regret my marriage. I don't regret the time I spent in LA or working in corporate America because I think all of that taught me so much. I mean, I worked with incredibly smart people. Um, it was all at the right time and a right season in my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I really don't have regrets about things because I try to look at it as, yeah, what did I need to learn and how did I grow? And now I'm just in a new season. And, you know, and I think everybody has their own path and also path changes. You know, it's not like you're set on a a certain path or direction for your entire life. You know, it can change with age. It can change with circumstance and um, that you're so right that it's, you know, reflecting of, well, it's not, even if I were at home and had a house and a career and I would also have down days. So it's, it's realistic to expect that, well, I'm going to have some down days while I'm traveling too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Have you made any observations about solo travel since you've been doing it? Have you seen more women traveling alone or do you feel more confident about doing it yourself? Yeah, I think um, it's kind of interesting because even with hiking the John Muir Trail, um, through hiking, a long distance hiking is still definitely dominated by males, but there are a lot more females hiking it and more solo females than, you know, even 10, 20 years ago. Um yeah. And so I, I definitely see <clears throat> more of that. And on my travels, typically when I've seen solo travelers, it's if I've done, so like when I first went to Thailand, I'd never been to Asia before. So I was a little um, nervous. I, I didn't know um, really how to na- navigate things. 
um, the language, the culture. And so when I first arrived, I had set up to do an REI adventure um, tour of hiking and biking. And so it was mostly, it was Americans and then local tour guides. And it was a really good way for me to feel comfortable um, getting used to the environment, the culture, the language, while still having a little bit of that comfort of familiarity with other Americans. And um, it was arranged by an American company. And so by the time the tour ended after nine days, I felt really confident then being on my own, where when I first left myself, even my family was really nervous. You know, they'd never been to Asia. It was a really unknown, um, you know, are you going to be safe? And so I, th- I think there are things you can do as a solo traveler to say, well, maybe I'm not totally comfortable just completely going on my own. You know, you can do a tour group. And I know like um, you have great re- resources for that as well, that people can um, do tours. So I think that that can be a really nice bridge. And so on some of these tour groups, I've met other solo females. Um, so frequently, if you don't want to pay the single supplement fee, <laughs> you yeah. get um, paired with a roommate, <laughs> which will often be another solo female. And um, I've just, I've met some awesome people that I'm still friends with um, that I was paired with with roommates. And um, it was encouraging to see, okay, there's other women that are out there that um, are traveling by themselves, but now we're with a tour group. And um, sometimes it's just day tours, you know, a bike tour, ghost tour, brewery tour. And, um, you know, I was on a um, tour of the Heineken facility in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. And um, there was this woman there from the Philippines. And um, we started chatting um, at the tasting room. And she was also a solo female traveler. And she was living in Dubai. And she was there for a week or so. And we ended up hanging out that evening. And then I told her I'd signed up for a a day tour the next day and she joined the tour. So, you know, I I had a friend with me for the day and um, we're still in touch. And so it's been encouraging to see there's more and more um, solo females, but I, for me, I found um, how I end up meeting most of them is on day tours or other tours. Um, But it's just, it's cool because you can, end up connecting with them and then, um, hanging out with them later. And, but yeah, I think that there's so many more resources out there now. Um, you know, I was so afraid even back in 2017 with, you know, with limited cell service and not speaking the language, it was really intimidating. And now I've figured out more of the, okay, how can I have cell service, um, in this country <laughs> without breaking the bank? And that is tremendously helpful. You know, in, in Vietnam, I was able to use Google Translate um, if people didn't um, speak English and, you know, I don't speak Vietnamese and it it can be really helpful in trying to get an Uber um, or, you know, in Asia, it's Grab or um, getting directions, um, booking things. Um, just having that cell service actually provides, I think, a nice level of comfort yeah. where, you know, 10, 20 years ago, people didn't really have that. And, you know, it was a lot harder. <laughs> to travel that way. So I I think there are so many resources now between blogs and um, podcasts and all of these things that it makes it not so intimidating. And I think it makes it anybody in any experience level can find something that they're comfortable with, whether it's, well, I'm not comfortable going totally by myself, I'll do a tour group, or maybe I'll start with a tour group, then I'll go by myself, or I'll go by myself, but maybe I want to go to a country that I feel more comfortable with, or um, that I'm more familiar with, or I know somebody who went there who can give me tips on what to do. So I think, yeah, it's been interesting to see, um, even just in the last couple of years, there's been definitely more solo travelers. 
It's great, isn't it? It's so it good is. that women are doing it. Was that part of the reason behind you writing your memoir, Weathered? Was it to inspire other women to be able to hike the trail? What was your inspiration? Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, I had never backpacked. <laughs> I had camped a lot as a kid, but it was car camping and, um, you know, my parents provided stuff. And um, I think for me, it was really wanting to show people you don't have to be a lifelong through hiker or backpacker. Um, you can start a new hobby. You can do something new um, that you're not familiar with. And for me, the the permit process is six months. So once I got the permit, I had six months to prepare. So I read books, watched documentaries, went on hikes every weekend in the Los Angeles mountains. Um, I took a class at REI. So there's a lot of things that you can do to prep. I'm not, I'm not somebody like, I had a friend who once told me that uh, I'm a risk taker, but I take calculated risks. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I, I think that's actually an accurate way to describe it. Cause I, I, I like taking risks. I like having adventures, but I also like planning and pre- preparing and, and utilizing resources available to me to set myself mm-hmm. up for success. And so for me, it was, such a unique experience for me that, you know, I had journaled, um, each night, um, on the John Muir trail kind of about what the experience was like. And I, about halfway through my notes got less and less because it was just so cold at night and I was so exhausted. (laughs) Um, and when I got back, it was within a few months, I wrote the first few chapters about what I did to prep and train and prepare. Um, but then I was, I was so busy with work. It was, another year or two later that I wrote another few chapters. And, um, and then I was so busy with writing about my travels that my book really got the back burner. And it was last year with all the COVID restrictions and I couldn't travel as much. And um, I had bought a house in Missouri to put on Airbnb and move my furniture from LA to have an income stream. And last year I bought a second house to get that going as well, just so that the goal is to work remotely, (laughs) host other travelers um, so that I can continue to travel. So last year was a lot of getting the both houses, making sure they're running smoothly um, and then finishing my book. And I just felt really determined to say, you know, I really just wanted to finish it and sat down and um, finished the the second half of the book. And um, yeah, I just wanted to encourage people that, um, anybody can do it. You just have to plan and prepare. Um, and here's what the experience is like, you know, here's what I experienced, um, both meeting other fellow hikers. Um, here's what I experienced on the trail because you, the trail's never flat. You go over 10 mountain passes and your, your, your total elevation gain is about 47,000 feet and your descent is about 50,000 feet. So, it's a, a lot of climbing and it's a lot of work and it really puts you through the ringer um, mentally as well as physically. So yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to share that story and, and kind of encourage um, other solo females that, um, you know, it's not as daunting as it may seem and um, encourage them. And I, I get a lot of joy out of people who've read my book who say that they are inspired. And I had one woman say that she was consistently hiking a five mile loop Um And when she read my book, she said, I always wanted to do the eight mile loop. And I just wasn't sure if I could do it, but I read your book and I've been, I've been training this last month and I'm going to do it. And within a month she did the eight mile loop. So it's things like that, that just really bring me joy that make me feel like, oh, I'm I'm really happy to encourage people and inspire them that, you know, they, they can do more than they think they can probably push themselves 
harder, um, you know, if they don't limit themselves um, in their mind, um, they're capable more than they probably realize. (laughs) I read the book Wild and I was trying to put myself in her in her position and I thought she's so brave like camping by herself and I think she came across a bear at one point as well like you were saying after reading that book was your hiking experience similar to what you thought she had yeah you know it's interesting I I saw the movie wild. Um, I hadn't read the book, but it did help me to at least understand, you know, I really truly knew nothing about long distance through hiking before that. And even just simple things like, Oh, you mail yourself resupplies. <laughs> oh, okay. That's how you get yeah, more food. Like, <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then understanding the, you know, it's like going through with the blisters and, and, um, other hikers and, um, it, I would say it was similar. The The part of the John Muir Trail is actually 150 miles of it is the same as the Pacific Crest Trail, which is what Cheryl Strayed hiked in Wild. Okay. Um, but it's the mountain section. Um, and so it's just all, all mountains. And um, it's arguably one of the most beautiful trails in the world. And so um, I think one thing that just blew me away about the trail is every day I was on some sort of mountain peak. And you can't, there's no other trails that you can hike into easily. Um, you know, hiking into the trail is few and far between. And even when there is a trail, it could be 10 miles um, one way. So there's no roads. It's extremely remote. So, and as you get closer and closer to Mount Whitney, it gets more and more remote and the, the peaks get 10, 11, 12, 13,000 feet. And, um, it's a really wild experience to just, you're on the top of a peak and you just look in the distance and think, whoa, I was way over there this morning. And, um, you know, you just see nothing but mountain peaks all around, you know, there's no cities, there's no buildings. Usually there are no people. (laughs) And it's, it's just a a really cool experience to think, oh, my legs got me there. Um, you know, I'm on this peak because, you know, I got myself here and now I'm going to climb down and you look in the distance, where am I going to go? And um, yeah, so it was definitely, I think after watching, there's like a few documentaries out there, people, they've um, put together great videos. And so I kind of was aware of what to expect um, with the terrain, um, read some books about food and prepping and, and all of that. And um, yeah, it was, it was just a really amazing experience. And, and I think after that, you know, I was just so proud that I finished and, and there was a point where I, I agreed to meet a friend. Um, she said she would hike in some supplies, but it had to be a Saturday because she had to work and, um, she would hike in some whiskey and she brought me cake <laughs> and in order for me to meet her, I ended up having to hike 75 miles in five days. And I had to go over like several mountain passes. I had to do two passes in a single day. And I, it was like the talk of the trail. People kept thinking, asking me, are you going to make it to Cursarge Pass by the 17th? And I don't think you're going to make it. And, you know, having people even just doubt me and I, it just made me really determined and <laughs> really <laughs> stubborn. Like I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. But um, it was really good though, because I, I'm somebody who needs to have a goal. I need to have a, like, I need to to make something. So being able to have that goal of meeting her and meeting her, cause there's no cell service. There's no way to communicate, you know, mm, I needed to make it. it. Yeah. That really helped. And then, um, making it to Mount Whitney, um, which is the, the tallest peak in the 48 continuous, um, States. 
it was just so satisfying because once you make it to the top, that's the official end of the JMT, but then you have to hike 11 miles down to Whitney portal. And it's a really tough mountain. It's very steep. Um, it's 14,505 feet. And it's just the feeling you get when you're up there and, you know, you're, you're pretty much almost done. You know, it was just the next, I had to hike down I camped one more night and then finish the trail. And I think after that, um, a lot of people that I worked with in corporate America, you know, they were just astonished. Like <laughs> you did this and for three weeks and, um, I ended up doing a lunch and learn where I, I shared a video. Um, it's one I have on Vimeo, Christy hikes, the, the John Muir trail and showed him the video and talked about the experience. And, and I was just thrilled to see how many people showed up and how many people were interested. Um, and I, and I think they were so interested because they thought, well, if Christy could hike this, so could I, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and it's true, you know, if I can hike it, anybody can hike it. And, and, any time for I have a com- I've come across things that were challenging, you know, in my life or scary or intimidating. I literally just remind myself: you hike the John Muir Trail by yourself. <laughs> you can do this. You know, if I'm if I'm on a trail where I'm feeling really fatigued and tired, um, I just remind myself of that. And I that's why I think the more you do things like this, the more you really build your confidence and understanding that. I am capable of doing this because I've done it before. And so I know that I can keep doing other things as well. And you mentioned about finding strength in the face of adversity. Do you feel as though you've emerged a different version of you? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think for one, it's given me a lot of confidence (laughs) as um, yeah, just in my own abilities instead of being that, you know, talking myself out of it, you know, I think in the past, you know, even growing up, that's why I was called a worry, worry wart. <laughs> um, you know, I always had this anxiety of what if things go wrong? Um, what if we get in trouble? What if this isn't right? Um, mm. And it's, it's really enabled me to just, I guess, relax a little bit and just say, you know what, I, I just want to enjoy the experience. And um, it's, it's given me the confidence in myself and my abilities, but it, it really made me also just discover who I was because I I had met so many different trail people that, um, you know, the first time even I went into REI had never gone in until I was training for this hike. And I was so intimidated. I mean, I just thought, you know, I was a little overweight and I had spent six months on joining Weight Watchers and losing weight. And, and, you know, I didn't wear the typical hiker clothes, you know, my workout clothes when I go to the gym or I run or like, um, bright colors and their <laughs> technical colors. I've done half marathons. So not so much hiking, more running. And, and, and I just, in my head, I thought, oh, they're, they're just going to laugh at me and say, oh, you think you can hike this trail? You know, I didn't feel like I looked the part and I'm really tall. I'm six one. So the clothes don't fit me. And <laughs> I just felt really out of place. And I was too scared the first time I went to REI. All I bought was a membership and a John Muir Trail po- pocket map guide. I didn't even talk to somebody. I was too afraid. The next time I went to REI, I realized, okay, I I need to ask for help because I'm never going to be able to hike this trail if I don't ask for help. And Mm. I was so pleasantly surprised. People were so nice. They were so welcoming. Nobody looked at me like I was silly. Nobody said, oh, you can't hike that. They immediately were like, oh my gosh, we're so excited for you. Ooh, let's help you find the backpack. Oh, what about shoes? What about this? And and it, it just really helped me to see like a lot of this we build up in our head. You know, we, yeah, yeah, we, we convince ourselves that, oh, these people think I can't do it or I don't know. And, and, in reality, people are actually pretty supportive. Um, So I I think it just really encouraged me to say, you know, 
do I think these things just because of my own insecurities or do I think these things because there's a real reason to feel these things? So, um, yeah, I feel like it just has helped me, helped me not be also such a people pleaser. Um, you know, on the trail, I had an, an instance where, um, this couple, they were really sweet. Um, I had met them and they said, Oh, we're going to set up our tent tonight. You want to come join us? We're going to go catch a fish. And I always started later and ate lunch later, got to camp later. And I was already running a little behind. And so they took off and then they, they said, Oh, we have spots over behind this rock. If you want to join us. And, um, I finished my stack and I kept on, Oh man, I, I really needed to hike several more miles. I needed to get closer to Donahue pass. And, but, Oh, I don't want them to think that I don't like them. You know, I don't want them to think I don't want to camp near them. And, and I finally just, they had to say, oh, stop trying to please other people. You know, yeah. they're not going to be offended just because you don't camp near them. <laughs> like you needed to hike more miles, go hike your more miles. And, and so I had like several instances where I just had to really stop trying to just please other people and had to step back and say, okay, I still want to be kind, but I need to also do what I was going to do anyway, instead of you know, making it just about making sure everybody else is happy. It was like, well, I had a goal. I had a plan. I need to stick with that. I think that's one of the key reasons why I love solo travel as well, because I'm, I used to be a big people pleaser. I'm still working on that, but I'm a lot better than I used to be. But when you solo travel, you just, you can just do what you want, can't you? And there have been times when I've had that conflict in my head of, am I going to be rude? Or are they going to think that I'm not interested if I give this answer? And I've just learned to just go with what I feel, but just be polite. And no one probably even gives it a second thought anyway. It's just in your head, isn't it, of what you think they might think of you. But that's really helped me out in situations where my instincts felt a bit off and I've wanted to walk away from a situation. And I think in the past I would feel like I was too rude. But now I think, no, I'm just going to walk away and just it's okay. I'm never going to see these people again. Yes. And that that's actually, it's so true that we, I think women in general too, tend to worry about that same thing of like, mm. well, they're going to think I'm rude. And actually I read an article years ago that said the reason why sometimes even women can end up being victims of assault or um, robbery or things is, is because they're afraid of appearing rude. <clears throat> you know, Interesting. we're yeah, it's like this, well, my feelings are off. My gut is off. I'm not really comfortable around this person, but I don't want to be perceived as rude mm-hmm. or, and, and they end up not trusting their gut and just walking away. And I think solo travel, as you said, really helps with that because the more you experience it. And, and I think for me, the more I've realized, well, I'm going to move on. I'm going to see other people. I'm going to experience. It doesn't feel like the end of the world now. Whereas before, yeah. you know, it always felt like, oh no, I don't want to be rude. It's good. Now it's just like, ah, eh, I, I, you know, you're meeting so many people and you're experiencing so many things. It's, it's easier to not dwell and get caught up on one instance. And, and I, I had on the John Muir trail, everybody that I met was really great. It was just on my, one of my last days, I met these guys that had their shirts off music blaring and I just didn't really feel comfortable around them. And they kept saying, Oh, we want to camp near us. And I said, no, I'm going to keep going. And the next day their friend was camped near me. It was right before I was hiking Whitney and they showed up again, shirts off, music blaring. And <clears throat> I just didn't really, I don't know, my gut just didn't feel comfortable around them. And they were, they saved me a spot there. There's a small ledge at the top 
like two miles from the peak of Mount Whitney. You can fit a few tents, but you have to bring extra water. There's no water supply. And they said, oh, we'll save you a spot. You should come camp near us. And and I just trusted my gut and said, no. And, um, you know, they're like, you're going to summit now and at 4 p.m. And I said, yep, I'm going to summit. And I summit later in the day and they set up camp. And and then instead of camping there, I said, no, I'm going to hike the other way. It's a few more miles down to the lake. And I kept going. And I, I think it is helpful because I, you know, I don't want to be rude. I want to be a kind person, but there are times where, um, yeah, I haven't felt comfortable and I've had to learn, you know, it's, it's okay to say no, it's okay to not just only worry about pleasing them. And, mm-hmm. and I think the more you travel, the easier it gets because it yeah. is, uh, yeah, you, I, in my head, I just know now this isn't the end of the world and I'll meet other people and have other experiences and, um, it just doesn't feel like as big of a deal as I guess it used to feel like. It's like your inner compass, isn't it? I think it's your biggest asset is your intuition when you're traveling by yourself. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. Because it's it's definitely, you know, your intuition is, you know, that gut feeling, the sum of your experiences that tell you something, something doesn't feel right here. And so I'm gonna yeah. walk away from the situation. I, I do think that's important for females because <clears throat> you know, I haven't really I haven't ever been in a situation where I really felt, you know, life and death or anything like that. But I, you know, I've had a few situations where I just felt uncomfortable and um, just decided, you know, I'm going to just leave or walk out, walk away from the situation because um, I don't feel comfortable. And um, I think that is important for women to not feel the need to please. Um, you know, I had a Homer, Alaska, this, this, old bar with sailors. And um, I had guys that kept buying me drinks and one guy who insisted I take his phone number and wanted to show me his boat and take me to dinner. And I just, I was, yeah, I was, so you can yeah. <laughs> I was just, something was off and he was just really pushy and mm. he ended up leaving. And I said, I'll take your number. I'll call you if I want to have dinner. And then immediately another guy sat down and bought me a drink and tried it. And I just was like, I need to leave. And um, I just left and I was like, you know, I don't owe these people anything. I don't, um, I don't need to stay here. I don't need to accept this drink. And, um, I think it is difficult for women, especially for people pleasers. You know, we want (laughs) to, we don't want to be rude, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you in the same boat that I'm still learning, but I'm, I'm better than I've been before. (laughs) I think we're constantly learning though, constantly learning. So what would you say to somebody who's considering following it in your footsteps, whether that is hiking the trail or whether that's leaving a corporate life or selling their house and going traveling the world? What would you say to them? Um, I think, you know, it's really follow what you feel like your heart is telling you. I think for some people who love travel, it might mean that they do a one or three month sabbatical. Um, Some people it might mean you know, quitting your job and selling your house. And um, I think it really varies for everybody. So I would just encourage people try to find what's right for you. Don't feel like you have to do what other people have done. Um, And also just use those resources. If you, you know, feel more comfortable starting with a tour, start with a tour, Um, you know, and then, you know, kind of inch your way into um, going solo. And I think for me, I'm somebody who, you know, it was really difficult to not have income. And um, so one thing that I did is before I ran out of funds from the sale of my house, that's why I bought a house in Missouri where the housing is a lot cheaper. And my family's, uh, my parents, siblings, everything are located in um, St. Louis. So it was a way for me to say, 
I don't have to pay for storage fees and now I can set up an Airbnb. And then last year I got a second one and, and wanted to finish the book. And there are so many ways now with working remotely and being a digital nomad um, to find ways to say, you know, if you do want to make full-time travel and say, you know, I want that to be my life and I'm okay if I give up my house and um, do these things, then, you know, you, you have to find a way to still earn money. Then there's, just so many different resources. You know, some people, um, they teach English online. Some people are software developers. Yeah. I wish I had the skills to be a uh, software developer, <laughs> but, um, um, but there's, there's a lot of different things that you can do. I think if that's your passion and, you know, you don't have to just be, you know, a person who comes from money to say, oh, you know, because for me, it, it always just felt so out of reach. <laughs> you know, It was how do how do these people get to just travel? And um, you can, you know, there's ways that you can work remotely, but there's also times where sometimes people just say, no, I just want to take, you know, a month or two or, um, you know, I met people who took eight months off and um, just traveled and then they went back to their jobs. And um, so you have to find what what works for you. And just know that there are lots of different ways to make things work. You know, people who are under 31 can frequently get traveling work visas in Canada, Australia. And, you know, I met a lot of people who work in hospitality or on farms or remote um, can, um, hotels in Australia. And they're, they work there for a couple months and they have enough funds to keep traveling. Um, so it, it doesn't, I guess my point is that your story doesn't have to look like everybody else's. Um, you can take a little bit of what you like from lots of different people and kind of make it your own. And um, there's just so many resources out there now to help kind of plan and say, um, you know, is this what I want to do full time? I love that. And what would you say to somebody who actually wants to write a book? Because even the process of writing a book, I feel like you go through a personal journey of kind of reliving what you're writing. But also that for me, that bit of getting to the end is such a hard slog and you really have to push through a lot of self-doubt. Oh, yes, it is definitely a journey. I mean, it took me my book was published um, five years exactly from when I started hiking the John Muir Trail. So even though I had journaled on my trip, even though I had wrote written the first several chapters when I returned from the JMT, I it still took me five years <laughs> um, to get to the point where it was done and I felt satisfied with it. Um, it's definitely a process, but I think you know, for me, because I had then spent a couple of years writing for my blog, um, I think my writing has gotten better. Um, you know, I look back at some of my older posts and, you know, sometimes you want to cringe and you're like, oh, oh, those mistakes, you know? (laughs) And, you know, I think that's just a natural process. So even with the book, it's like, just start writing and you can always tweak it later. You'll get better as you write and then you'll have an editor. And then, even, you know, whether it's a blog or you write a second book or, you know, whatever the case is, you really do just get better over time. Um, and so you really just have to just start writing um, and it'll it'll start to come together then. But it's it is a challenge. You know, I, I'm trying to um, create a kind of series of my travels and kind of condense it into a book series. So it would be. Brilliant. Yeah, book one would be from LA to Alaska and Canada. Book two would be Southeast Asia. Book three would be Australia. And um, it is a bit daunting because you just think, oh man, this is a lot to gather. But um, I think the important thing is, you know, just start writing. And even if you don't 
have the exact layout. It's something that you can piece together later. It's something yeah. that, you know, you utilize other people, you know, have an editor, have somebody who help you um, put it together and make it so that it's more of a finished product. They say, what's that saying? Everybody has a book in them. Yes, I, it's true. I mean, every everybody definitely has some story or something um, expertise, you know, um, something that, you know, they can share with the world. You just mentioned that you've got some more books that you're going to be writing. What other things have you got planned for your future? Um, yeah, so I'm really at a place where the Airbnbs are, um, running pretty smoothly. Um, there's one that I've probably in the next month or two, I'll still be doing some work on, um, just doing a little bit of remodeling. And then I'm really hoping to, Really want to travel abroad again <laughs> with the, it seems like now borders are opening again and yes. it's a little easier. Um, I just, the last two years, it was a little intimidating with um, the rules were just changing so rapidly. And yeah. when even just road tripping in the U S in 2020 and 2021, it was really hard to keep track of um, the rules and restrictions from city to city, state to state varied everywhere. Um, so I, I feel like now we're in a place where at least there's some consistency and it's a little easier to navigate. And, you know, my, my, I had a bit of a fear for a while of, you know, I don't want to get stuck <laughs> and, um, some other country where I can't get back into the United States. So I'm feeling more confident about that going into 2022. So I'm really hoping, um, I would really like to go to Bali. I've heard a lot of really good things about Bali. Um, and when I, while I was in Southeast Asia, I, I didn't make it, um, to like Cambodia and Laos. Um, I'd like to go to like the Philippines. So either there or South America, um, is also where I really would like to explore more there. So a lot of it, honestly, at this point will depend on <laughs> um, restrictions, visas, kind of where countries are at. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that within the next um, few months that I'll be able to um, start traveling again. <laughs> Amazing plans. And people can follow you on your blog. And Where else can people follow what you're doing? Yeah, um, my blog, teglogoes.com and um, Instagram. Um, is also just Teglo goes, um, Facebook and, um, yeah, that's where I have the majority of my stuff that, that gets posted. Um, I'll do occasional videos on Vimeo. Um, I think it's under either Christy Teglo or Teglo goes. And, um, usually I'll just link through my different, uh, sites on like Instagram or, um, my website. So upload videos from Vimeo there, but I, I sometimes will splice together, um, like the Norway one, I put together a video of that tour. Um, I have a, a video of the Thailand tour and some of the drive up to Alaska as well. So I kind of have some, some videos on Vimeo. And your book is out. So where can people find your memoir, which is called Weathered? Yeah. Weathered, Finding Strength on the John Muir Trail. It's on Amazon, which should be also on Amazon for like the UK and Australia and Canada, um, all those other countries. And Barnes and Noble has it as well. And local bookstores, um, most of them will have it on their website. Um, some of them aren't stocking it in the store yet, but um, you can usually find it online. Um, but yeah, you can find it pretty much on uh, those all those online sites. Exciting. You should be really proud of yourself. Thank you. Is there anything else just before we go that you wanted to add? 
I don't think so. I just, I just wanted to, you know, thank you for your time. And I just, I really just love what you're doing for women. And I think that the, the organizations that you've partnered with to um, help girls around the world and, and all of that, I think are really important. And I think you're a great resource for, for women. And um, yeah, I just, I love your vibe. I love your positive attitude and um, yeah, super happy to have been able to meet you and talk with you. Me too. Thank you so much. You've really inspired me. So I'm really hoping that you've inspired our audience as well. So thank you, Christy, and good luck. And I'll be following you in the future. Cool. Thank you. And you can find out more about Christy and her amazing book and her blog, where she puts all of her writing on the link below. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to our Girl About the Globe podcast, making solo travel easier for you. Find everything that you need for your solo travels at girlaboutheglobe.com and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.